0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm Menas. I'm here with Paul. And we just have a, a shorter edition of Cricket Unfiltered than usual because Jaleesa's off this week and we're releasing a really uh, – We're releasing an interview we're really proud of with um, Harry Moffat from the SAS who's written a book. But there are some cricket issues, Paul, that are are really swirling around at the moment. I want to talk about Payne's comments from the Chapel Foundation dinner. But I think the hottest topic right now in cricket is what Cameron Bancroft said to the Guardian before um, last weekend. Um, What do you think?
1: I wonder whether it has kind of caught him by surprise because it just seemed like a a sleepy interview at the start of an England county season, just a few um, general chats. I suspect he didn't actually intend for it to cause headlines and maybe he would have been better served uh, going into it with a set of different answers. Because when they said to him, "Okay, so do you think any of the bowlers knew what was going on? I think you have to be, in his position, very clear about what you're going to say then. He needed to be... If he wanted to have no controversy, he needed to say, look, uh, all I knew was what happened with me. I, I, I can't say whether, whether anyone else knew anything. I didn't discuss it with anyone else and kind of um, put a, a hammer on it. He kind of tried to have a, bo- a bob each way by sort of not saying they did, but the implication was he's sort of saying, well, you know, come on, they must have. It's kind of the way that, that it sounds. Is that how you
0: feel? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And you can imagine we've been at... First class games it's it's The atmosphere is quite relaxed There's mm. not many people around And reporters can get close to cricketers And maybe press them a bit more uh, Than they would normally In a more formal setting Around international cricket So I think you're right He was probably caught a little bit off guard Adam Gilchrist said on his show On SEN this morning That Cameron Bancroft spoke to him And perhaps Bancroft wasn't prepared For the questions mm. that were coming But he also said that it's always going to be around them, so he should always be prepared for it. I guess he should always have the answers in his back pocket, just in case it's brought up.
1: Yeah, it's uh, tough though. I mean, if you know, if you if you really want to say, look, of course they bloody well must have known, but you know you can't. There's a human tendency to sort of creep, creep, and he needed someone to advise and say, mate, you've either got to go the whole hog and say it or. Um, just shut it down and and, and and go the other way. And so, yeah, he's probably regretting what happened, I suspect.
0: I mean, for me, this is the opening salvos in the upcoming Ashes battle that uh, – a bit of music there from Paul, <laughs> a bit of disco. Uh, but, yeah, I think this is the opening um, – Ashes salvos being fired from the English press. I think it's it's the beginning of trying to unsettle the Australian squad leading into an Ashes summer. And fair play to that Guardian reporter. He has got tongues wagging. And I've got to say, uh, you know, that's like scoring a, a quick five fifty for a reporter getting that kind of traction out of those comments.
1: Oh, listen, if someone said that about the Australian media, we'd say, come on, that's not true. This guy doesn't care who wins the Ashes, this England journal. He's just trying to get a, a good story. He's not... You know, he's not going to go – they're not going to give him a high five and um, Silverwood give him a shake of hands and well done. It was just – yeah, I think you're reading too much into
0: no, it. No, I don't think there's a, an <laughs> implicit connection between the reporter and the coach. But, I mean, there's – what nothing does better in the Aussie press than pommy bashing and vice versa. In the English tabloids, they love bashing the Aussies. And, and this one was – this issue is always going to be right for the picking. They, they picked at the scab and Bancroft fell for the trap – And the result is um, it's kind of reignited an issue that was starting to go away. And we'll talk about Tim Payne's comments later about Steve Smith, but it felt to me at the Chapel Foundation dinner that, you know, we were starting to get past Sandpaper Gate, Mm. but that might be for us, not for South Africa or England or India. Um, But I I have a few comments about what he said. Uh, I guess the first thing that strikes me is that, When this is brought up, did the bowlers know, there seems to be a lot of people talking about it that have no idea about cricket or have very um, basic knowledge of cricket, but you know, you and I, and I did a lot of, you know, deep investigation and reading into what happened in South Africa. That, All teams around the world were trying to get the ball to reverse swing. That doesn't excuse the sandpaper at all. But every team had their methods of doing it. Quite simply, uh, things like throwing the ball into the pitch. Um, You know, there's uh, some wicket keepers used to rub the the ball on their gloves or rub them between their gloves really quickly. And and look, they all had their methods of trying to get the, the ball to reverse as early as possible. So, of course, the Australian fast bowlers knew that whoever was looking after the ball, David Warner or Cameron Bancroft, was going to be trying to get the ball to reverse swing. That is not in question. And Cameron Bancroft could have almost said, look, everybody knows we're trying to get the ball to reverse swing. But what the bowlers didn't know, or I don't think they knew, was that they were taking sandpaper out and they were completely flaunting the laws.
1: Probably that's true that they mightn't have known about the sandpaper. The question then has to be asked, though, um, throwing the ball into the to the ground before it reaches the stumps. There's, there's kind of nothing wrong with that. The umpires might say, "Come on, lift your throws," but that's that's that hasn't crossed the famous line. But if it is true, and there's allegations that maybe David Warner in the previous Test match had been had a very strong sort of unnecessarily strong bandage on his hand, and if he was um, rubbing the ball on that and those sorts of things, I suppose there comes a point of the bowlers might have known a little bit more than they've let on. Um, As to whether they knew that it was full-on sandpaper, that's probably going a bit further. But they might have known that... The behaviour was pushing the boundaries a bit, and they but might I think that's
0: a cricket problem, not an Australian bowlers' problem. Yeah, good point. I think yeah. many teams were having that, and the ICC never really clamped down on it. They never had strong, um, you know, sanctions if you're caught tampering the ball with the ball. Yeah, it was always sort of sort of a nod and a wink kind of um, thing. Yeah,
1: and it's a difficult position to be in if you're the bowler and the ball's thrown back to, you and you think well, it looks a bit interesting. Um, but you, the temptation would be, well, I'll just hit a ball, and if it just suddenly starts swinging, then you know, then that's great, and I've I have not been involved in it. I'm I'm completely separate to anything that's gone wrong, um, and, and Bancroft's answer sort of implies that he thinks that they might have known a bit more than that, and so that's I imagine he's not endeared himself to the fast bowling cartel at all with these these answers.
0: No, I I also think he may have endangered his chances of ever playing for Australia again and I think he's an idiot for saying those comments I think he should have been much clearer with what he said if he wanted to say look the bowlers knew we were working on the ball but they had no idea I had sandpaper and they had no idea I was breaking the rules that would have been one thing but to just leave it sort of vague and just sort of try and dance around it it leaves too much room for interpretation
1: it's like because it was noticeable because the the question was asked twice and the, then the journo sort of said um, we should give him his name who was the guy that did it um, I've got it here journo from the Guardian by the name of
0: um, got a long article um, Donald McRae uh, well done Don you, you've you've sent the first salvo down under. <laughs> Because remember the Barmy Army, I don't think will be coming next summer. And I wonder how many actual English journos will be allowed to tour for the Ashes next year. So oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Hopefully, yeah. It's um, going to be very different Ashes summer. That's true, yeah. Um, uh, but Maybe I th- I'll meet Donnie in the press box. I wonder <laughs> if he'll wear shoes unlike other English journos. <laughs> Um,
1: but he did ask the question twice. And after after he asked it the first time, there was a long pause before Bancroft's answer. And after he asked it a second time, there was an even longer pause. And that's where it sounded like he was thinking on the run. And I think that was a mistake.
0: Yeah, I, I think Bancroft has played that awfully. It's a big play and a miss. But as I said, to all those people out there who just want to start to come up with this conspiracy theory that they were all in the Australian dressing room planning this, just not true. The fact is... It was an arms race to get the ball to reverse swing. If you don't think South Africa was doing it in the same tour, you got rocks in your head. Uh, they weren't using sandpaper, but they had their own methods of shining the ball. Whether I think back of the wicket-keeper gloves was one of them. So, yeah, I just think it's, it's ignited a debate that really Australian cricket doesn't need.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. All
0: right. Now, um, we had Cameron Bancroft's comments. We also had Tim Payne... Um, was in the media last week because he spoke at the Chapel Foundation dinner. I was at that dinner, so I got to hear the comments live, unlike some of the reporters who've written articles in the wake of it. Um, so I got to actually hear um, what Payne said. He spoke about um, his – what are you laughing at? I'm just laughing at you you
1: <laughs> it's your SMS to me in the middle of it all when you suddenly said, um, Payne will retire at the end of the ashes. and yeah. And I thought – Wow, that's amazing. And I just didn't actually check to see whether that
0: was correct or not. But now it now turns out it's not correct. It's not correct. I was just drawing an <laughs> inference from what he said. And and Tim Payne didn't did not make any equivocal statements. during the interview, it was a 45 minute to an hour interview, it was a long form interview, it was a relaxed setting, it wasn't a media conference, but he did intimate strongly that probably the end of the Ashes will be the right time for him, he didn't give any definitive answer, in fact he said, oh you never know, I might be 100 not out in the fifth test at the SCG, which is not going to be at the SCG, which we'll talk about next show, but um, if if he was 100 not out, maybe try and go for another year, but but The, he's got the, the cl- inference was probably I've got at least six more tests in me. All
1: right. Well, you, listeners, you can judge. He was asked about how much longer he expected to be in the role. At least another six tests, um, he said. And then he said, um, if I feel like the time is right and we've beaten the Poms 5-0, what a way to go out. But it might be a tight series and we might be chasing 300 in the last day and I'm 100 not out and hit the winning runs and then I might go again. So I don't think he's made up his mind.
0: No, I don't, I don't think he's equivocally made up his mind. He said from the beginning of his recall to the Australian side, he just goes series by series. But I think that if we're sort of, you know, behind closed doors when he's, you know, with his family, he's probably thinking end of the ashes, maybe a bit longer, but I would say that would be when it'll be. So um, it wasn't equivocal at all. But, but I, I did get disappointed with some of the reporting that came out of that night um, around uh, Tim, uh, Steve Smith's return to the captaincy. So what? So what, what was the impression you got from reading, say, Andrew Wu's article, or some of the other journals who reported on it? Uh, my impression was that
1: he was asked. Um, see, the problem is, I don't care that much about mm. this. This I don't care about Tim Payne's thoughts. On whether Steve Smith should be um, rehabilitated as captain or not, so I read it, but I didn't really read it forensically. I think others are more interested in it than me, but what I, what I got the impression was that Payne had sort of said, "Yeah, um, no reason he couldn't do the job," and sort of gave him some sort of um, um, a small tick. As he, it, it sounded as though he would say, he would say he's definitely someone who should be considered. And then I agree that there was a fair bit made of it that the the room seemed to applaud that. Um, quite strongly and that that again was made as this to say well that's significant because these are cricket people this maybe gives a a guide into how the Australian public is feeling and again I just thought yeah I don't you know I'm not all that fussed either way I think that the importance of the captaincy is vastly overstated I know people like you really you know think about it all the time I don't
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) well I guess just I, I, I was disappointed at Andrew Wu's article in the wake of it because he wasn't there for the comments and he heard them secondhand and I believe Andrew Wu was given clarification by someone who was at the dinner and then he still went with his article saying there was raucous applause when Steve Smith um, was discussed as being the, the next captain. So we've said what I thought would happen and what actually did happen. Well, Uh, To set the scene, it it was a line of questioning from the interviewer, Tracy Holmes, and it was talking about things like being in the cricket bubble and, you know, the fact that Tim Payne had got away from cricket for a while. So that brought a different perspective to the captaincy um, than some of his predecessors. And and, and it sort of was talking about that issue. And then it talked about whether Steve Smith may have, um, you know, been you know, too intensely in the cricket bubble in the lead up to Sandpaper Gate. And that was one of the root causes of what led to that behaviour. And then she said, you know, in that line of questioning, not would you prefer Smith over any other candidates, not do you think Steve is the best candidate, not do you think Steve should be captain, Mm -hmm. but, you know, could he do it, um, you know, if given the job again. And, and, you know, it was following on that line of questioning about the bubble and the fact that now Steve Smith's a few years older. He's been through that experience. So it was very much a a line of questioning that wasn't definitive about who will be the next captain. Should it be Smith over Cummins? And the room did not break out into rapture. But firstly, what did Payne say? So Payne said he thinks Smith could do the job again. He thinks that he's more mature now. He's learnt a lot. He's... He's always been good tactically, but uh, off-the-field stuff, you know, he's probably more equipped to deal with it because he's 31. He's not – he's late 20s. He also made the point that Smith got the job very young. Mm. He was 25, 26, which is quite young to be made Australian captain. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it was an endorsement of, of Smith as a person, as a leader, but it wasn't an endorsement over anybody else. He didn't ever mention, oh, I'd prefer Smith to Cummins mm-hmm. or anything like that. And the room didn't erupt. So the the room did not erupt. A few people applauded. Say there's three four hundred people there, twenty thirty applauded.
1: Right? Is that all?
0: Yeah, it was definitely not uh, a rapturous applause. Because uh, I thought he was like, "We want Smith. No, not we at all. Want not Smith at all. <laughs> all." There was a few Smith supporters that clapped. Yep. Uh, you know, this was this information was passed on to Andrew Wu that perhaps it wasn't a raucous applause, but he still went with that story, surprisingly. Um, so it was it was a very, very strange article by him and others. Jai Bednell from news.com.au jumped on the bandwagon. It took Peter Lawler, who was there at the end of the week, to kind of write it properly right. and give it the sort of context it deserved. Um, yeah, so that was sort of the context of the the. Um, comments. Okay, interesting. Uh, I enjoyed that. Yeah, and I just think that it was made too much of and um, uh, Tim Payne would have made a lot more headlines if he'd said, I don't think Smith would be ready for the job again. Can you imagine if Smith had said, actually, I don't think Smith's the right man for the job? If Payne had said. If Payne had said that. It would have been front page. Yes, you know, if, if Payne had said, oh, I'd prefer Cummins over Smith, would have been front page. All Payne was doing was paying a teammate some nice compliments, accurate compliments, and it didn't deserve the reporting. And I actually think that it's a little bit crass to report on charity events like that. Um, I think you should actually source your own um, stories rather than report on that stuff Um I know it's good for the charity that it gets reported on because, you know, I mean people might want to be at the next Chapel Foundation dinner so they're raising money, you know, not explicitly, but it can help raise money for the charities. But I I don't like um, reporting on things that aren't in a formal setting.
1: Oh, yeah, but I think that's, um, you know, that's something that's gone. That uh, Regardless of the the rights and wrongs of the actual reporting itself – uh, just as in a general sense, I think at a charity dinner, anyone speaking would know that if you, particularly when you've got 400 people there, number of journo's, lots of cricket tragics, everyone's got access to social media these days, one way or another. Anything that's said is going to get out. So I agree, you know, sort of in a high-minded moral sense that things like that should be totally off the off the record. They're never going to be anymore. It's kind of, um, you know, it's 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 a it's a point that might have made sense in 1986. It doesn't in
0: 2021. Well, I. I agree that you've you've got to expect everything to get out and Tim Payne said in the aftermath of the dinner that he fully expects what he says in these functions could get reported on. But I think a journalist maybe wants to source their own stuff. You maybe call Tim for Clarification. Um, but just recycling quotes from a charity dinner I don't think's is um, great um, and I don't think it's great reporting. And I, I actually don't think we got the right stories. Like I, I think it was inaccurate. Um, but a great dinner. I had a great time at the Chapel Foundation dinner. Uh, Tim Payne did not come up to me and um, <laughs> get upset at me for comments I made about him. So it was a lovely affair.
1: Yeah, fantastic. Sounds, sounds like it was a great night.
0: Well, I guess um, that's our little chat about some of the hot cricket news. We're going to be back next week with a full Cricket Unfiltered episode. There's actually quite a, a few things to talk about. There's next summer schedule that's going to look a little bit different to the past. There's um, squad lists. I know you love um, squad list announcements, so we'll <laughs> be going through them. And so, yeah, we'll have Jaleesa back in studio next week. But... Stay tuned for our interview with Harry Moffat. Uh, we think it's really special.
1: Yeah, it's, it's well well worth a listen.
0: Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We'll be back soon. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.